Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name my is... Name. <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Hey, emotional support dog, Shifty. Do we, do we need emotional support for this episode, Matronella? We do. I'm very nervous. I don't you know why. Be. I don't know why. I mean... I kind of know why. I'm a nervous person in general. But I'm well, just get a little closer to your mic for me, because I know that your your emotional support dog is between you and your mic. Is is this better? Your mic, that mic is not working. Okay. I was afraid of that. But it sounds great from wherever the mic is right now. You just need to get closer to it. Okay. How's that? Is that better? That's better. Okay. So, uh, Cody, is that, the, is that the corgi that at one time was a uh, social media influencer? Yeah, yep, that's right, that's right. But I quickly tired of prostituting her out, so now she's more prostituting uh, her out to who? Well, I just felt like I was using her, you know. I, so you were the pimp? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. And I just felt like it, I think it was, I think it was done out of love, you know, but 
it just still didn't feel right. Because I, I just have a lot of pride in her. Did you She's, set her up as her own Instagram account? I did. I did. Oh, very for nice. a time, yeah. yeah. She had a rapid following? She became an influencer? Mm, I think I, I started feeling sleazy about it too quickly for it to take off. <laughs> um, Shifty, Shifty does a, a lot of hunting with me. Matter of fact, I do all my hunting with Shifty. How old is Shifty? She's eight. Okay. And she fetches squirrels, which is pretty amazing. Dead squirrels? Yeah. Nice. And she's been with me when I've killed several elk. And when I've and with other people, she's been with other people and me when they, we've killed elk. And she's also screwed up some elk hunts for me. I mean, without question, there are elk alive today that would otherwise not be if it wasn't for Shifty. Who's a, um, who's a better squirrel shooter? Matt or Steve Ranella? Steve. Steve's a better, better shot. Steve's a better shot than I am for sure with the rifle. I shoot bow a lot more than he does, I believe. Bow at squirrels? No, no, I mean, I'm a better shot with a bow than, than he is probably. Oh, okay. But, okay, okay, okay. But I, I yeah, I've, I've never really had a, a penchant for firearms. I use, I, I don't have any, I think part of it is I don't have any curiosity about them. Like, I, I just think of them as instruments that one uses to slow down animals so that you can cook and eat them. So I, I don't have the, so that's, that's how I view them. So I don't have an intimate knowledge of their workings or how to tune them. But wouldn't you say the same thing about a bow and an arrow? Yeah. I don't have any curiosity about that either. So what do you use? You you just don't care what you use? To slow the animal down? I'm, I consider myself... I do way more archery hunting than okay. rifle hunting. And the reason there is primarily just because traditionally it used to be not so much of a shit show on public land. And that's probably still the case. You know, it's probably still not as crowded mm-hmm. on public land with a bow. But it's gotten way, way worse. Well, Matt, I have to uh, confess something. This is my first roundup back in three weeks, and uh, I got a text message from Cody yesterday. I was like, hey, we're all squared away for the roundup tomorrow. He's like, oh, yes, yeah, yeah, we are, but um, I didn't ask you permission for who I was going to bring on the roundup. I just asked him, and I just went, LOL, who is it, or do you want to surprise me when I show up at the roundup? Uh. He he exercised some autonomy in your absence. Cody. I did in fact. I did in fact. Yep. Would you have well, said? Cody, I'm back, my friend. Yeah, where were you? How was Australia? Uh, Australia was amazing. Uh, went to Australia to get closure. Uh, finally, spread my dad's ashes after almost two years of him being dead, and uh, saw my family for the first time in three years. Sydney flooded, the biggest flood it's had in 35 years whilst we were there. Wow. And, um, but no, we're back now and uh, excited to get back stuck into things. 
and what a freaking roundup to get stuck into <laughs> than Macronella. Oh, man. I think it'll be tame. I, I think it's going to be tame. I have some things I want to talk to you guys about. And yeah, let's, cover, let's, cover a couple, let's cover a couple administrative things, and then I didn't even uh, – my agenda says administrative things and then see what Matt says. That's, that's my agenda okay. for the roundup today. Um, first of all, it's still July. Supporters um, drive going on. A couple of cool uh, prizes to be won there. Check that out on the website. Let's flesh that um, out because there's some really – crazy things happening in July. Number one is we have, for our Australian and New Zealand contingent, which is what, our third biggest contingent in the world, Cody? Yeah, they go back and forth with Canada. And, uh, for a second. Yeah, so we built something exceptional for them. We've got a $300 gift card from Backlands. We've got a dog and gun coffee uh, gift basket, which has the Black Death coffee collaboration between blood origins and dog and gun coffee Maprinella, you like your, your coffee strong yeah man i like navy coffee you know this is navy coffee this is extra dark they said we don't want to roast the bean this dark i said do it it's gonna be good it's gonna be one of their best sellers oh yeah. uh we got uh gear from ridgeline we've got victory a knife from victory knives We've got nutrition uh, swag pack from Radix Nutrition in New Zealand. Just got a whole slew of things specifically for Australian and New Zealand supporters. Uh, a package for both new supporters in July and existing supporters, obviously. And then we've had a couple of people reach out and say, what are you doing for us, the US people that you love so much? Well, we have a elk hunt that we're giving away two elk hunts cow elk hunts okay but hold on hold on hold on two cow elk hunts in colorado november 2nd to the 6th at trinchera ranch it's 170,000 acres of brilliant habitat conservation done by these private landowners uh they are offering us two cow elk hunts and we're giving one to existing supporters and to any supporter who joins in July, you can win this hunt. Everything's included, three days, four nights, booze. Well, no, not booze. I'm going to pay for your first round. Food, one-on-one -on -one guides. Matt, if you win it, you'll have to bring your own wine. <laughs> um, I don't drink wine anymore. I just drink, what? I just drink, I'm trying to, it used to be wine in the winter, gin and tonics in the summer. But I'm trying to cut back on calories. So now I just, I only drink Windsor. What is Windsor? Uh, yeah, it feels a little odd for someone like me to be giving a product endorsement on a podcast, but <laughs> it's... Come on, you influencer. It's, uh, it's a, a Canadian whiskey that, that is quite inexpensive. Like a handle is fifteen bucks, and what you drink? neat. Yeah, well, it's on the rocks, neat. Okay. Still, it's not. If it, if you got ice in it, it's not neat. Right on the rocks. Yeah, my wife has extremely expensive taste in whiskey, <laughs> and so 
since we got married seven years ago, I've, I've developed, I guess, an appreciation for, for good whiskey. And I've, I've sampled a lot of different whiskeys that are top shelf, but I like this just as much. Awesome. I heard this guy once say that there's two ways to be blessed in, in life and that one of them is to have lots of resources and the other one is to have inexpensive taste. $15 a handle Windsor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. I like that saying. Yeah. But anyway, I'm, I'm interrupting. No, so we've got that elk hunt. For any supporter that joins in July, you're going to be thrown in a pool. You can win it. Existing supporters, you get thrown in your own pool. And then we also have all the other 10 to 12 things that we give every month. So it's huge. What a massive July. I wonder why we're we giving that much away, Cody. Um... Because we're just that cool. No, because it was my birthday in July. Oh. Come on, Cody. Also, also because like three months ago, I said we need to do a supporter drive. Yeah, so we just coincided with my birthday. What a celebration. Right. All right, we're moving on to text. Our first text is uh, it's from Dave from Wisconsin. Dave's one of our best texters, consistent every roundup. Um, basically says on the topic of lead ammunition, lead, non-lead, um, he thinks hunters should, should switch, or he thinks we need to develop better options. Matt, Matt, what's your thoughts on, do you, you shoot lead bullets? I haven't shot a, a rifle. Well, that's not true. I I don't know. I don't know what I have. I don't know if I have lead ammunition for my twenty-two, like for hunting squirrels. I have some. I know I have some non-lead ammunition for my rifle. I don't remember what it is, but I guess the answer is yeah. For my for my big game rifle for the next few years, I'll I'll be shooting non-lead because I have a bunch of it. And you're only shooting because you have a bunch of... No, no, no. That's not true. I think out of, a, I'm, out of an abundance of caution, I, I'm, I'm committed to making this, the switch. So if I have some... If my 22 ammo is lead, it's probably because it's the only 22 ammo I could find. Mm-hmm. Tony, what did Dave say? He basically said... I think he was kind of agreeing with me, Dave, correct me if I'm wrong. My statement when we talked about it last week was, I think it's like every other argument in the country, but it's two extremes, right? Like I think the people that are against lead ammunition, a bunch of them are exaggerating the effects of lead ammunition. I think it's bad. I don't think it's as bad as they're saying it is. I think the people that are against switching to non-lead there's a fringe group of them that are making it seem harder and more expensive than it really is but it is a little bit harder and a little bit more expensive right like i think all we hear from is the two ends of the spectrum and i think hunters if you can you should think about switching i'm not in favor of laws forcing us to get rid of our lead ammunition mm-hmm. that's where i'm at that's kind of what they if the data were stronger, Cody, would you 
Are you open to being convinced if the data were stronger? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, that, okay. That's that's what I'm saying. I said, I think it makes sense. I think when an eagle eats a 155 grain lead bullet, it's probably not good for them. Yeah. There um, are, yeah. Go ahead. But I don't know that. Like, you know, also people die in car crashes, but we still drive. Right. I mean, there's, there's, balances that have to happen on things until I see data that says this is a horrible thing. I personally think the switch in waterfowl hunting was a good idea because every time you pull the trigger waterfowl hunting, you're putting hundreds of pieces of lead scattered around a body of water that ducks are feeding in. I think that was a good idea. On balance, um, I on, on balance, I agree with you. Although there are i have experienced some huge uh some human health implications from that i have a missing tooth and three crowns all from biting down on steel shot and waterfall meat mm. see there's an ass and tooth yeah yep i i you know the, 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 the you wouldn't have broke your tooth on lead shot? No, no, no. There is a hard stop with steel shot that does not occur with lead. Okay, okay. I've bitten I'll down. I've bitten down on lots of lead in upland game bird. Well, meat. probably a lot of split shot, right? For your fishing tackle. Yeah, I try to use pliers, but sometimes I crimp it with my teeth. One one thing that wait wait Robbie, do you eat a lot of your split? Are you still talking about eating it? No, no, I'm talking about him breaking his teeth. Oh, okay. Let's stay with the conversation. One, Cody, one, Cody, come on. How 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 deep are you into your agave already this week? This week, we were talking about him eating steel shots. No, biting down on steel shot. Okay. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Biting down on it. But one thing that gives me some concern is when, when we were kids, my brothers and I used to walk around in, all day long with split shot in our cheek and gum. Because really? we would be fishing for steelhead, and you, you're always re-rigging, always getting snagged up and re-rigging. So we just stupidly would carry lead in our cheek and gum. Where it could be probably maximally, maximally absorbed into our bloodstreams all day. What I liked about our podcast that we did with the Sporting Lead Free Group out of Wyoming was they were for the whole voluntary approach, right? Just giving you an additional line of, of things to think about. You know, they had the data. They had a lot of science. To, to number one, show that the ballistics, everyone talks about the ballistics, that the ballistics are very comparable today um, between lead and the non-lead options. Uh, they talked about pricing also in that podcast. And with given today's pricing on ammunition, things have, the gap has, has, has sort of closed a little bit as well. The only problem I said to you, to your point, Cody, is how big a deal is it? And it was that paper that I cited in that podcast. It was a very good paper. I think it was published in Science that showed that bald eagle population growth is still going at like 25, 26 percent. 
And because of lead in the population, it's reduced the growth by a percent. And I'm like, yes, okay, it, it's having an impact, just like you said, Cody. But it's not like 20% of the population. It's not reducing them substantially. They're still growing very, very well. I wonder about other things that their intrinsic population growth rate isn't nearly that high, like California condor. Yeah, but then you've got the uh, Peregrine Foundation out of Arizona. Uh, Chris, gosh, Chris, I'm sorry, I forgot your last name. But, but Chris leads that on the Kaibab Strip, and they have a volunteer program there. And it's not saying like we, we, you're mandatory, you have to use non-lead ammunition. If you choose to use non-lead, no problems. But can you bring the carcass out? Or can you bury it? Mm -hmm. And they're getting like 80, 85% compliance rates. Yeah. Unlike, unlike Cody, and I respect where Cody's coming from, if I was king and I could press a button that made it so we didn't use lead, then out of an abundance of caution, I'd push the button. I think that wildlife are pretty beleaguered in a lot of cases, and why mess with it? So that's just where I come down. I respect other people's viewpoint on that, but that's just kind of where I come down on it. Any other text messages, Cody? Um, we got one from James who uh, I read it thoroughly, and it turns out James just drew a mule deer tag in Colorado and was fishing for spots from me. <laughs> um, both both hunting spots as well as uh, Flat local spots. large spots. No uh, watering holes, bars to go to after he harvested his mule deer. Um, we got a text. We put the. Um, what was the uh, one that we took all the flack, that post that we took all the flack for last week? Hunters of Color. Oh, yeah. We got a Do you guys get flack? Oh, all the time. Oh, I'd like to hear about that sometime. I mean, we you probably talk about it with your listeners all the time, so I don't want to bore them, but I'd love to hear how you end up. No, we, we, put a, we did a podcast with the founders, correct, mm -hmm. of, of, of the Jimmy and Lydia. That was a long time ago, wasn't it? Cody, you were telling me you were going to do that a long time ago, at least. We did. We, we recorded it a couple of months ago, maybe, and dropped it last week. I see. Um, yeah, and we, we took a ration of, of shit on that, on social justice warrior type comments and stuff. And uh, the text basically, without quoting the text exactly, was... Uh, essentially screw them keep doing what you're doing so thank you to anonymous for that um it, it was a it was was it the 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 was it a woman is there a woman that heads that up yeah, i got a little idea. i got a little tidbit on her that i could share with you go ahead so absolutely go for it a couple of years ago you remember i wrote that article that's critical of yeah, the, what the, i call the, the, the sham the the sham that I call, yeah, the sham that that is called R three. Mm -hmm. So, John, they called you racist. Yeah, mm, not really. Okay. They did not. They did not. They, 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 they were much more muted than that. She was, mm -hmm. and she's the one that wrote a rebuttal. That's right. She wrote a rebuttal. That's right. And I, I, I correct myself. I, they didn't call you racist. They were very 
They're very strong in their language, but they didn't go that far. They, they said I was, they said I wasn't sensitive enough about racial issues. They, I was colorblind. But didn't you say when we had you on the first time that you probably, one, you didn't mean any of it, two, mean you any of what? covered it, being insensitive to that that type of group that didn't I, I, have I am I'm, I'm a I'm a racial so she's right I'm a racial I I don't I don't it's not something I consider when I'm interacting with somebody I, I interact with their ideas and if I if I met a mule deer doe that can converse with me and make great points I'd absorb them too it, it just doesn't matter it's just I'm not it's not part of what drives me so anyway, to give you a sense of just how disingenuous she is, what's her name? Her name's Lydia. Lydia. Lydia, when she wrote this thinly veiled polemic about me, in, in representing her, her hunting organization, when she wrote that and published it, she had never once gone hunting in her life. So just thought that was interesting. Yeah, it's uh, the whole thing's touchy. But I you guys seem I underwhelmed by that. I thought that that would come as a bit of more of an epiphany. I thought I was dropping some, dropping a bomb on you, but no, it's a, it's a, it's a statistic. It's I mean, it's a, it's a statement. I mean, and it, and it means something. I uh. Having listened to and talked to those folks, I think they're trying to do good things and battling a lot of ignorant attacks at them. Um, at the same time, I think they have a social justice aspect that sometimes I wish maybe they were a-racial. But at the same time, I realize there's maybe a lack of sensitivity saying that coming from you know a white heterosexual protestant that's never had any discriminatory actions in his life taken against yeah um, yeah I, so, I i wonder yeah I, I i hear what you're saying i hear what you're saying i i i'm familiar with the systemic racist argument that just by virtue of being a white male, you are racist, no matter what your past pattern of thought has been, that it's just, it's undeniable, it's unavoidable. You are, you are a beneficiary of your white privilege and the whole nine. I just, I don't know, man. I don't have patience for it. I, I'm not going to. No, I don't either with any of those arguments, but let me present it to you in a different way. Okay. I, just me, all three of us being white males, I'll only speak for me. I have never had anyone change my day in a negative way because of my skin color. Mm -hmm. I, I personally don't think that the United States has systemic racism. I think the people who say that don't really understand the name, the, the meaning of the word systemic. So I, I have some consideration for the fact 
maybe it really was harder for them to get help at the Bass Pro Shop in XYZ Deep South because of their skin color. Oh, I bet. I bet. I agree. It probably is. And so that part of it, I understand where they're coming from. The argument that they made against you, because I read both articles, and while I have a lot of respect for Lydia and what they're doing over there, that was just garbanzo beans to me. I like that was just pulled out of nowhere. That it that they made your article a racial issue, and that to me, that stuff drives me crazy. Yeah, and, and, and it's almost predictable. It's predictable, right? Yeah. That's yeah. that's what people do on the left. That's what people do with information they don't like. Now, they find a way. And I'm a little bit of a lefty, so but but I'm moderately so. They find a way to to they, it, it takes a lot of creativity sometimes to turn it into a racial thing, right? But you got to remember that there's also it's the same argument I just made about lead shop, all right? Because there's also jackasses who are saying that no one's racist anymore and that doesn't exist. Oh man, man, that's stupid. That's I've met Um, people in the last few years that would demonstrate undeniably. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. I I guarantee you that there's still gun stores in the United States that when you walk in and ask what caliber you need for your first deer hunt, that shit would be harder if your skin was Mm -hmm. real. Yeah, that's a real thing. Agreed. Uh, and we can't deny that. At the same time, on the other end of the spectrum, Matt Ranella saying he doesn't like organized hunter recruitment programs in no way has a bridge to any reference of any type about skin color. Yeah. Right? It just doesn't. There was nothing. I disagreed with things in your article, but it wasn't because... It had anything to do with anything other than the points you put on paper. And that's, to me, it's the same thing. If we could stop living on one end of the extreme or the other, um, we'd get a lot more shit. I, I, I've since come a lot around to the opinion that hunting promotion, be it R3 or hunting TV, hunting social media, are... have the effect of pushing disaffected groups away from hunting on on balance and and the the reason i believe that is because hunting promotion which i oppose it it increases it increases the value of hunting opportunity and if you look at the wage gap it's quite clear who's going to get the opportunity when the price goes up. Mm-hmm. So I believe that by taking a stance against hunting promotion, as I've done, I'm keeping it more grassroots, keeping it so that there is a better chance the disaffected groups can participate. When I was a kid, 
we got permission. The two farms we hunted on, we met those farmers at our church. You know, good luck going to church and finding somebody that's going to let you on now. It's all leased up where I live. And that's a that's a consequence of hunting promotion. So, in my view, no. It's, look, it, I think you both make really good points, and I think Lydia and Jimmy and what the the guys are doing at Hunters of Color are doing something that are reaching out to groups that most people have never reached out to before. And to me, and to Cody, and to you, Matt, I would I would think that you would agree with the statement: a hunter is a hunter. Yeah. Doesn't matter who they are. Doesn't matter all their racial uh, background or their, you know, gender or whoever they choose to love. Hunter is a hunter, and so they're doing a good thing in terms of reaching out to to those community groups and making the the invitation to hunting a little bit more palatable. As I sit here and and, and listen and think about this, it's, they might. They might be at allies of mine. I, I don't know. It'd be interesting to talk to yeah, them. Yeah, and I think that's what I was trying to say, is that I think one of the things you said to me in the beginning that, that really struck me was that your first article was you were limited to 1,400 words. And as a scientist, you're, you, you know, you wanted to write 5,000. Hmm. And in those 5,000, it probably would have been a better expression or an expression, sorry, a better description with these respective examples mm-hmm. that needed for someone like that to really see it and go, okay, he's not pointing the finger at me. Or not just that, he's not shutting the door on this thing that we value as a great opportunity for disaffected groups to get into hunting. I, my concern is the existing hunting community. And once somebody is a member of that, they're within my sphere of concern. It doesn't matter if they're new to it or old to it. But because my concern is the existing hunting community, and because I think adding more hunters in decreases the overall satisfaction and enjoyment the hunting brings to society at this point, that we've reached that point long, <laughs> long ago in my viewpoint. So I don't, I, I'm opposed to growing the existing hunting community. But when some, once somebody's a member, they're within my sphere of concern. By and large, there's there's some people that are outside. There are there's a contingent of people that are outside my my sphere of concern. People that lease up land and lock everybody else out. I don't care about their experience. Uh, people that buy up ton, tons of land for themselves and don't share are outside my. I'm. The people so let me who, ask this. I, I want to ask this because I think we're sliding off. We've done all the text messages, so this is what yeah. I, I don't mean to get into Cody the... wrote in the agenda what Matt thinks. Mm, okay. <laughs> so Matt, what if you decided to become a supporter of Blood Origins in July? Gave us three dollars a month. That's all it requires to get you in the draw. And you drew the cow elk hunt on this private ranch in Colorado. Would you go? I have not. I, I hunt. I've. I hunt a little private land every year. I have a friend. So what makes 
it okay for you to hunt private and everyone else is like, ah, we don't want you to do that. I have no problem with hunting private land at, at, at all. I, that's, I, I, it's wonderful to hunt private land. Your last statement, your last statement that you made before Robbie's question seems contrary to that. What was that? That you are against people buying up land, leasing land out, privatizing essentially the opportunity. There's, there's a tremendous amount of, uh, I perceive what I fear is a tremendous amount of greed in the hunting community. And I'm trying to get people to reflect on that. So in leasing and leasing and, and buying land are two different things. So, and I'm more clear on leasing. Okay. But we could touch on the other as well. With leasing, there's, there's layers to that as well. In the, in the East, there are places where it's either lease or don't lease travel a long, long ways, play the special draw tag all over the place, special draw thing all over the country, or don't really hunt. You know, Texas or Texas, for example. Yeah, Texas, yeah, Texas is that example. So, not much public land. In a state like Texas, my what what I'd like to see, and who cares what I'd like to see? I guess I'm putting it out there. I have a podcast now. It's called the Hunt Quietly Podcast, and I'm saying what I think about all this stuff on a regular basis. Again, second promotion of the day. Windsor whiskey and, and my podcast. Well, you knew you knew that was coming. So, <laughs> in a state like Texas, I, I think the message. And nobody's making this message. I just can't. There's so many things I can't believe people that have a voice aren't saying. And in a state like Texas, the message needs to be share. Yeah, but how do you share if you own the land and you're pumping money into the land and you're pumping money into keep the wildlife alive and sustaining the habitat? And you're leasing it out? Yeah. The, the person that's leasing it from you should share. It gets, here's where it gets most egregious. It gets most egregious to me when you're somebody that's involved in hunting promotion. Leasing the property. If you're involved in hunting promotion and you then lease up land for yourself and don't share, I just, I don't know. I, I can't. There's one level, there's even a level that's even more troubling to me. If you're, if you're a company that makes your living off other hunters and you take the proceeds from selling them binoculars or rifles or camo, and there are many, many companies that do this, take the proceeds and lease up a bunch of land for yourself or buy a bunch of land for yourself. And it, 
and these are, by and large, they're working landscapes, agricultural land that used to be bang on the door and get on, but now you've locked it all up for yourself. How is that just not a big, like a very selfish thing to do to your clients? So my message is share. My message is is share. And and I don't understand why that's not why that's not a message. That Doesn't this, it all just come down to economics, Matt? Because the first guy, right, is leasing it from the farmer or the original landowner, and the original landowner is saying, I have to make some money back here. I can't just give it to you for free because it's costing me a ton to maintain what I have and you want what I have. So, you know, Cody's taught me a little bit about business, and so this is business. This is this is you leasing something that's of value for you. Then you're saying to the leasee, now you need to share. He's like, I'm not oh, saying just, need just, to. I'm just encouraging people to. I mean, so look out for your fellow hunters. That's that's my message. Have love in your heart. I have so much love in my heart for my fellow hunters. That's one thing I've learned through this podcast is that I have so much love and concern. And, you know, if you don't believe that, I mean, not you guys, but the listeners, just turn it off right now because nothing else I'm going to say is going to resonate with you. I do. I have love in my heart for my fellow hunters. And so you're suggesting and, that promote and, the, the influencer, the brand. Dare I say this? And I'm going to hear this for the first time as you guys are hearing this, okay? So it's just going to fart out. Kind of Cody says that when I say that, that's typically when something bad comes out of my mouth. <laughs> you're, you're actually suggesting an R3-type situation in which someone provides the opportunity to recruit, reactivate, and retain a hunter by offering opportunities. No, I think he's saying inside that realm of existing hunters. Here's here's what agreed. Matt, that's yeah, that's Matt, what I'm saying. This is what I this is what I want to do, Matt. I want to say what I think I'm hearing from you, and then have you correct me. All right. Yeah. And it's just my ego thinking I'm going to deliver your message better than you did. No, do it. Yeah, because I'm constantly misunderstood, and I, to me, I seem so clear. But man. The false attributions that get leveled at me, yeah. So, First of I all, keep telling I keep telling my guests, you take over the podcast. I'm not looking. I don't want notoriety. I don't want to be in the public sphere. I don't want to get on any more freaking. I don't want to get on any more hunt forums and, and see people t- saying awful things about me. And like, I'm getting I'm getting two three emails a day now. None of them are negative. Every one of them is saying. You put your freaking finger right on it, dude. Please keep doing what you're what you're doing. Is there any way I can help? And every I, my message to all of them has been: if you can help, here's some things you can do. Most a lot of them flake. Some of them are allies now, and they're working hard towards what I'm trying to do. But the thing is, I don't need this, man. I don't, I would give it away tomorrow if somebody could do it better. So that's another. Here's, here's what I think. I don't want to do it, but here's what I think Matt's saying, Rob. Say company XYZ that has made $500 million off of selling something to hunters. Doesn't matter. 
buys a 3,000-acre piece of ground just down the road from Matt's house. What Matt is – okay, first of all, we got to say a caveat that I think is very important and made me really begin to understand Matt a little bit, I think, is he said one time – by no means does he want any of his, his ideas to become law, mm -hmm. right? Like, Absolutely he want, not. He doesn't want people to have to do these things. No. He, he wants people to want to do these things. And if company XYZ that was two miles down from Matt's house bought 3,000 acres for their executives to hunt, it'd be cool as shit if they randomly picked 10 or 15 or 5 or the number is irrelevant local hunters a year that used to hunt that when they were in high school 30 years ago to get to come in. You nailed not, it. You nailed not, it. Not that the state of of the state of Idaho made a law that if you bought 3,000 acres that you made off of hunting dollars that you have to let everyone wander around on it for free. But if they had a mentality of sharing with the locals whose opportunities they decreased a little bit by locking up that chunk of ground, that would be good for the human race. I can do that. You do. Like yeah, I'm, I... It's, I'm ashamed of how much better you did it than me because it's something I've had a lot of practice at and you still... Well, here's, here's my... First of all, I think Matt knows that Matt and I have never met in person, but we've talked a fair amount over the last year. Here's my one... The only critique I have of Matt Ranella's not message, but delivery, is it's so definitive. And... People take what you said earlier as it's this way or the highway. Well, if no one should own private ground, we should all just be wandering around wherever we want to without any boundaries. Oh, if I said that, I don't know. I was speaking loosely. You didn't. You didn't really say that. It's just people are people are. And now you got yourself to a point where people are looking for a reason to critique. Yeah. Right, and that's not what you're saying i've come to know your message well enough that that's not what you're saying you really just want people to be better people not for the logistics and the laws to force us to abide by matt ranella's agenda and theories yeah yeah with the with the leasing thing and even buying up property for a hunting place for yourself. It just, this seems like, just look out for the rest of the community, man. Share, just share. That's the message. We got, we got a lot of lands where public lands where it's, you know, five hunters for five, 10 hunters per thousand acres. And then you have some place where it's one hunter per 10,000 acres. Shouldn't that wear, shouldn't that impinge on your conscience? conscience oh, just a little mm. especially if you're someone that's in the game of hunting promotion like oh you want more hunters you want more, until the till the minute that it's that it's they're gonna impact your experience i that it inflames my sense of justice 
Yeah, and I think that's I think that that sense of justice, especially with what you term, you know, the people that are promoting hunting, it through their Instagrams and socials and and are making money from hunting. And if they do lease up a ten thousand acre block, yeah, why not provide opportunities for others? Again, to either those that are hunters already that may be thinking about getting out of hunting because there's no opportunities or brand new hunters that are recruiting in from non-hunting to hunting and have an opportunity. Yeah. And to be fair, there are a lot of people that are. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. There are people There's that share. There's a lot of people that are, that have massive financial stakes and pieces of property who are still letting that kid that knocks on their door and offers to throw bales tomorrow afternoon the chance to deer hunt on it. Yeah, no, I, 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 absolutely. We just need to celebrate that, encourage that, and try to have more of that in my mind. Well, you know, Trinchero, I would use that as an example. They gave us two cow elk hunts. That's awesome. So and what, what are the... Lodged a very private, exclusive, the who's who hunt there... And now Joe Blow down the street's going to get to hunt there. Yeah. But it's got to be on a grander scale. It's got to be to a point where it hurts a little bit. If it's if we're going to support all the hunters we have, it's got to be that there is a chance that Joe Schmo bumps the big one onto the adjacent property and he doesn't come back for the rest of the season for you. Mm-hmm. It, it it's the only way it's going to work. It's just, it's, it's the only way that we're still going to, we're still going to have publicly accessible hunting in the next generation in my mind is if people of means become more willing to share. I like it. Uh, and, and another thing, there's other things that's a necessary condition. It's a necessary condition, but it's not a sufficient conditions condition. There's other things that are going to need to happen in my, in my view. So who, who sponsors you guys? Well, we technically don't have any sponsors. So okay. It, so here's the, here's the backstory to Blood Origins. When I started Blood Origins almost five years ago, I was very much like any other hunting show. I was like, okay, I'm going to get sponsors. They're going to pay me. We're going to showcase their product organically. And we're going to be able to do this thing that we like to do. Well, because we were so off the wall, so off the cuff, plus at the time of us building Blood Origins, I think hunting shows were like peaking. Everybody in his and his bloody dog was had a hunting show, was going to have a hunting show, was pitching a hunting show. And so when I pitched my stuff, my when I went to ATA and all the other shows, Wild Sheep, um, Western Hunter, they were like, man, that sounds like an amazing concept. Sounds great. We're not giving you any money. Oh. And so I asked a lot of people, and a lot of people said no. And so I just self-funded it and I just kept doing it. I just kept doing it. And that's when I met Cody and we just kept doing it and kept doing it. 
And Cody was like, what the hell is this guy doing? How is he making money? Or how is he making ends meet? And what fortuitously those all those no's did is it made us not belong to anyone. We actually belong to everyone. You guys are more forth. You're the most forthcoming. I don't listen up. I shouldn't say it. In my limited experience, you're the most forthcoming hunting podcast there is. Yeah, and we're going to get more and more forthcoming. That's our plan. Our plan is to continually get better. Here's the reason behind that. Is because the the money that keeps the wheels spinning, and neither of us are making money, real money off of this, but the money that pays for the things that we do, the projects, the video crews, everything, it's kind of a, it comes from about, literally about 2,500 different people in little tiny increments. So, so we don't have that one person mm-hmm. that if we pissed them off by something we said, we would, we would be out of a, out of an organization. We would go under. And that's very much what we planned. And right now it's still working. The bulk of our funding comes from individuals who voluntarily give us at least $3 a month. That's the bulk of our funding. We also have somewhere around 70 what we call corporate conservation partners who give to our conservation projects that we do. Um, So across the board, there's close to 2,000 people who, for lack of a better word, are our sponsors. And we have really, really weird marketing meetings, meetings with their marketing people where we tell them no. We're not not going to get anything from us. Mm -hmm. We're not going to wear your camo. We're not going to tell people they have to use your knives. I, I believe right now, Matt, we have five coffee companies, five <laughs> different coffee companies, and we love them all, and I've drank all their coffee, but we tell them, we're not going to tell anybody you got the best coffee. We're just going to tell people we really like your coffee, and if you want to check it out, and also, this company supports what we do, so we do it drastically different than anyone else. Yeah. We, had, we, did a, we did a fundraiser. For Wyoming uh, Wildlife Federation's Hunter for the Hungry. And the people that came in to help us were Kuyu, Eberly Stock, and Stone Glacier. Three drastic competitors of each other. Yeah. Right? And, and we did that. We really didn't do that one intentionally. It kind of just fell into place that way. The cool thing was all three of them were willing to solve this problem. So that's our sponsorship model. That's cool. I, uh, I'm opposed to Hunters for the Hungry, but just as a... What? How can you be opposed to Hungry? How can you be opposed to giving meat, game meat, to impoverished communities that don't have access to it? I think that if you took the money that those people spent shooting those animals and used it directly to buy food for the impoverished, they they would buy more calories 
And I think it's so, I think it's just a way of, of sating people's bloodlust. Like I can shoot more stuff, even though hunting opportunity is like, is so limited. And there's so many people that want hunting opportunity and they don't have a way to get it. So people, the, the hunters for the hungry, what they do is they go out and you get to shoot a bunch of stuff on your place. And then donate it and do a bunch of virtue signaling and feel good about yourself. If they just, if they really cared about the hungry, they, they just take, they would just uh, go buy some food for them. And, and I believe that, that they'd buy more calories that way. Okay. So that's where I. So there's clearly two different models for hunters for the hungry. The model that you just described, I've never heard of. The model that we invest in. And the model that we're going to invest in more in Spain and Australia is the money that we raise doesn't go to anyone killing an animal. It goes to the processes. Yeah, I'm aware of that. To the animals that are killed already by hunters that they can't take the meat anywhere or they're like, I don't need this meat, which again, I understand goes against your ethos there for why did you even kill that animal? Absolutely. That's disgusting. And so there's an opportunity for this meat not to go to waste get processed and distributed out to people who need it i just think it it encourages wanton killing if these people were really concerned about the hungry then don't fly on a plane to another state and spend all that money probably go to a place that's leased by an outfitter even though there's people that live in that community year round and now they don't have a place to hunt and shoot a deer and you don't give a shit about eating it. So you fly the head home and leave the, and feel all good about yourself for donating the meat. It's just not where I think hunting should be going. They don't. Here's, here's, the, here's the, here's the flaw in my opinion in, in your statement, Matt is do you think that if we just eliminated hunters for the hungry, that all of that that killing of animals would just stop? I think if you eliminate it, there'd be more incentive to... I, I just... There's some things where I'm not a consequentialist. I, I'm an absolutist. And this is one. So hey, don't don't go around shooting stuff, especially when there's... I mean, in a, in a bygone era... Like I, there's a guy, our, we have this cabin in Alaska and there's a, the, our neighbor there, he's the chief of the Simpson nation. And w he used to be a law enforcement officer for the neighboring little town of Kassan. And one of his job, in his job description was hunting for the elderly. So, I mean, there's layers to this stuff. If Somebody in the community wanted a black-tailed deer. That was in his job description to go provide them with one. Mm -hmm. But come on, man. Flying out to somebody the other state, somebody's state, where you've locked up the hunting opportunity for yourself, especially in a state like Montana or, or North Dakota or many others in the West, where if, if it wasn't leased out, it would be in some program that allowed the community to hunt, like plots or block management, and then you shoot a deer and, and donate it and fly home with the head, I just, I'm not down. I'm just not down. 
that's just where I, I come out. I, I can, I can bite off on your theory, but I think you have maybe it's a, it's a very good state that you're an absolutist and not a consequentialist because the, the hunters for the hungry is not causing the thing to happen in my mind that you don't right. like. The hunters for the hungry is making the best of a situation. I have never, minus Africa, I have hunted Africa once and I'm going back in six weeks. That's the only time I've ever left meat. And that wasn't because I wanted to. But I agree with your statement, but I think you have the cause and effect backward. Hunters for the hungry is not causing it. Hunters for the hungry is making the best out of a situation that's happening. They, I, I doubt that they, they have a, on their website and when they're in their about on their about page that they have something like we'd rather you didn't shoot meat you don't need but if you're going to no, i doubt that they have that statement that's a truth that's that's a truth but let me ask this i don't know this but i know this is true but it, i don't know it wouldn't happen to me but let's just assume i go out i hunt a mule deer First time I hunted, I'm going to take the meat. I don't like meat. But I freaking love to hunt. I love that hunt. It was an amazing hunt. I don't like the meat. That meat, you'll do meat. So, but I'm, I still want to go hunt. In your scenario, I'm not allowed to go hunt because I'm not going to use the meat. Now, in that scenario, I would donate the meat. There's some people that that like to hunt, but the, the meat makes them sick. Mm. I know a famous hunter that's that way. It, and I've often wondered about, about what I would, oh, well, I know what I would do. I don't know what the right thing to do is, but I know what I would do. I would not hunt. hunt is- I would not, I would not, I'm not, I would not shoot something that I knew I was not going to enjoy the meat. So that, that's descriptive. It's not normative. Sure. But I, but that's too, I think what Cody and I are saying, that's the perfect opportunity for hunters for the hungry program. Or just Good leave, or just leave it, leave it out there for somebody else to hunt that will enjoy it. Let or, them have a positive experience. Or Cody, why don't, I don't know, Matt, did you listen to the episode of Michael Croston and the heart technique? Mm-mm. Harvest and release technique for hunting? No, do tell. You need to look at, you need to watch, not what, you need to listen. I'm to making the a note. H A R T. And what this guy has developed is to him, he's, he's very much in a Matronella camp, but he loves the hunt. He loves that moment of pulling the trigger. But he, but to him, like he's got a full freezer, he doesn't want to kill another animal, but he wants to have that feeling in the moment in which, you know, your adrenaline spikes, everything that we know happens in that moment. And so he's developed a technique in which he's got a camera tied to a scope and he's got a 243 round. I think it's only a caliber 243. Oh, I like where this is going. God bless this guy, man. He's got a, um, a bullet, a blank, and the blank fires. So you get the noise 
you get the smell of the gunpowder. The animal reacts like it has been shot because it's reacting to the noise and walks away. Oh. And you've got a picture and a video of you hunting this animal but not killing it. Oh, I like it. What do you think, Macronella? I, I like it. I like it very much. I think that's wonderful. I don't like catch and release fishing. It, it, but. Matronella, come on. Well, I don't. I don't like worrying fish for no reason. I mean, I'm, it's not like way up high on my hate list because. But then you wouldn't ever go fishing. That, well, I keep all the fish I catch. But. And I catch a lot of them. But. It's not high up on my hate list because there's an argument to be made that that's the only way you're going to enjoy that fish in a lot of cases. It's the only way you're going to behold the fish, experience the fish in any way. But what about slot limits and growing fish populations? You have to. Oh, no, no, no. If if they're trying to, if you're out there, if I'm out there trying to catch a fish to eat and in the process get one that I can't eat, then I'm all about letting that one go. And I think that that's the. The right thing to do. He's talking about me fly fishing. Yeah, like what I'm saying here is, ah, Matt, it just seems a little. It just seems a little like Roman gladiator no, kind of. just torture. I'm in complete agreement with you. On it seems weird to me, and that's the that's the uh, confusion in my head when I'm fly fishing. The enjoyment that I get from fly fishing outweighs that a hundred to one, and I'm not going to stop doing it. Um, but nor I, do I feel strongly enough about it to try to convince you. I just that's just where I'm at with it. But it's yeah, nice. it's it's it. There's a uh, there's a weird dichotomy there of I don't of you know you're you're uh, catching that fish, you're stressing that fish um, solely for my enjoyment. You know, yeah. it's there and it's real. Um, but I'm going to keep doing it. Yeah. God bless you. I also you worry. You worry all the trout you want. It's just I don't worry very many. I spend a lot of time trying to worry them, but I don't worry very many. <laughs> Matt, your statement about catch and release is, is the way that you said it is. You know, as Cody pointed out earlier, you know, Matronella comes across as very definitive. That came across as very definitive. This is something I've struggled with my whole whole life. I, I I can remember even as a graduate student, people, my committee members said similar things. Girlfriends said similar things. I don't know. I don't know how. Yeah, I, I wish I could. But maybe, I don't know, maybe we need hard stances on some things. I don't know. Hard stances with with good rationale behind them, but with the uh, with the willingness to listen to a difference of opinion. Yeah. The other thing that's the uh, that's it right there. That's the other thing that not enough people are giving Matt Ranella credit for is he truly listens when you disagree with him. I don't mean that he changes his mind very often. <laughs> I have had a change. I have. I have been changing. I, I, I changed my stance on leasing. I no, used to. I have. I've seen that. That's why. I, that's why I can attest to it. Is I've seen Matt has the balls 
to let his train of thought out in the open for the sake of a discussion. And the bulk of us just stand around and pussyfoot and wait until we're absolutely positive about something before we're willing to take a stance on it. And therefore, because we think we're absolutely positive about it, there's no realm of actual open discussion in the scenario. Matt lets it flow, what he's thinking, and then it, 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 it's a rare thing to be incredibly dedicated to your principles but open-minded at the same time. Well, thank you, Cody. And, and Part of it is I don't, there's nothing on the line for me. My, right. my, my, right. my, my, my finances aren't tied up in it. I got, no, I, I, I just got, I just got promoted. I'm now a GS 15 scientist. I'm like, I'm capped. Damn, son. Um, no, you're not capped. You can go, you can go to SES. I could go, there's my agent. Is that what? Okay. What in my agency, there's, I think 1400 or 1600 scientists. And then there with USDA. Yeah. And there's 30, they call them super grade scientists. So I guess I'm not capped. I could become a super grade, but man, I would have to stumble on some promising suggestions in the next few years <laughs> if that was going to happen congrats uh, on, your, on your gs15 thank you but so but yeah I, because and i think i think the hunting sphere needs more of that there are too many people that make money are calling the shots and saying what we should think and and people won't make won't take the tough stands an example of that is do you know Going back to the leasing thing, I, you know this, do you know this company, the land trust? Yeah. So these, this company, I'm saying this for the benefit of people that don't know, they lease up land and then sell opportunity for hunting and bird watching, et cetera, a la carte. I don't think they lease the property. I no, no, they, no, they just, right, I said, in effect, say, in effect, yeah, they... Well, not really, Matt, they, they approach the landowner, and they say, do you want people to hunt your property, like you've been saying? The landowner's like, oh, can I, can I sell hunts on my property? They're like, yeah, you could, you could make a hundred bucks a day for a whitetail hunt, or two hundred bucks a day for a turkey hunt. Or eight thousand dollars for a mule deer hunt. Maybe. Maybe. Fuck. Definitely, definitely. Chunk, there's also smaller chunks. Like I think in well, Mississippi, you can go hunt whitetail for a hundred bucks a day. In my and state, in my state, if that is competing directly with our programs that are funded by sportsmen on private land, yeah, block management and Pala. Pala. Isn't that the uh, isn't that the private landowner's decision? I it is. It absolutely is. But where where are the hunting celebrities on this? They should be like, we live in a state, the Montana hunting celebrities. Like I just had a phone call with, with Randy Newberg a few days ago where we got into it because I was trying to get him to come out against land trust. And and people won't make won't take a stand on stuff like that. Here we have a program that allows everybody to hunt. And, and these land trusts, mm -hmm, 
they they're leasing up the land. Not I don't. Okay, we'll call it something else. We're calling it. These, if you're a land trust, if you're doing land trust, you're not in block management. You're you're selling hunts, and this isn't a. Oh, hold on! Isn't there a chance? I know of I know of I know of ranches that have gone out of block management and gone into land trust. So they've gone to people in the community can hunt there, and it's funded by hunters. Anybody can go there. To now this boutique pay to play BS that is going to ruin everything. It's already ruining things. It's already half ruined it all. This is not a counter. This is an additional data point. And all nobody right. will take a stance on that. Okay, I'm sorry. I'll stop listen, interrupting. I just listen, get so listen. mad about that. I know of ranches that nobody could get on because they didn't want to bother with controlling people. They didn't want to bother with the finances of it. And land trust has opened them up for a small fee for access. That's the only, that's the only exposure to land trust. I looked at land trust. Prior to the last five minutes of my life is a really positive thing because I saw ranches that were private that no one was hunting that the you know that that they didn't want to deal with the leasing or any aspect of the logistics of it and land trust cracked that door and got that open and in, and increased access. You couldn't have made a better point. If I could figure, if we could figure out a way so that only land that is not under any circumstances going to be open to the public for hunting, and have That's those your issue with the land trust, right? What's that? Your issue with the land trust. Let me let me couch this, and it ties back to our earlier conversation. Is opportunity. Yeah. Is that? If land trust was operating on properties that were not enrolled in block management or any other management program, well, you can't be. You can't opportunity be. to the public. You'd be okay with it. If you could somehow, if you could somehow figure out, if land trust could say, somehow figure out or decide when we approach a landowner, if they say under no circumstances will. I allow any form of public a public hunting, and 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 that was a precondition for land trust to enroll them. Then I then I'd be on board. But we both all know that ain't gonna that ain't gonna happen. You and, and they're robbing opportunity. They're robbing it. They're 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 squishing more and more people onto. Fewer and fewer acres, plus these land trust lands, just like any land out where I live. Okay, there's a couple points I want to make. First of all, it's highly doubtful to me that where I live in eastern Montana, this incredibly productive hunting uh, 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 land for raising ungulates, that there would be no hunting. Okay, here's an, here's something to consider. I know of ranches that were in block management, and then they went to an outfitter. And then they went back to block management because the outfitter wasn't shooting enough does. If you have no hunting out here, I mean, there might be different in other places land trust operates, but out here, 
by my lights, having no hunting is not a viable business strategy for a rancher. So, yeah, but this is, they'd probably hunt themselves, though. And now with land trust, they might have provided, as Cody mentioned, a couple of opportunities for the public. Well, yeah, okay. So we, we can we can speculate all my where I my intuition is that there are lands mm-hmm. that would be in block management if it wasn't for land trust. I don't know how you run the counterfactuals on that, but that's my viewpoint. Mm-hmm. And then another component. We should have the land trust on the podcast, Scotty. Yeah, absolutely, and it's definitely a. a can I come a, on with them? Uh, uh, so uh, as long as we have control of your mute button yes you can here's um, another thing I struggle with here's another thing I struggle with is that these land trust lands I mean they all got land lock public in them or most of them do you know I, I can't speak to that so that troubles me very much especially when you consider the fact that here's something that could, I don't know this could even get me in trouble I don't know Get me in trouble. This is something to get me in trouble, but I'll say it anyway because I'm just sick of people just being so fear based. But farm and ranch income, you know what? What percentage of that is coming from you guys? These last few you years, guys. you two and everybody else. You talking about farm aid packages? Yeah. I don't know the percentage, but you are going to get in trouble. A third. I'm just stating yep. facts. If I get in trouble, then if I get turned into the inspector general's office again, then whatever. A third. So in my mind, ranchers should feel like giving as much opportunity back to people as they, as they can as a consequence of that. I personally think, and I, like I say, I'm not advocating for changes in laws, but I do wonder if you're getting a third of your income from the taxpayer, how is it that allowing some public access is not a precondition to accepting that public money? That's a, I won't get in trouble. That's a point that I definitely agree that... Uh, I, I agree that there's some work that could be done on the farm bills. Um, yeah, now I'm scared, and this has zero to do with my job. I think I have zero risk of getting fired. But man, how could I get? Okay, do you think? Do you, can we? Should we edit, edit that out? Because I don't want to. I just. I don't want to. I love my life, and I want my job and everything. I don't want to get fired. But man, I'm just stating the facts. That's your call. You need to let us. Yeah. Know no, leave it in. Leave it in. Okay. <laughs> I'm not gonna be. I'm not gonna be governed by fear. I'm gonna be governed by what I think is right. Did you just look over at your wife there to see what she thought? About no, I had a fly buzzing around. <laughs> my, I, if my wife was here, I would have looked at her to see if I could get a sense from her facial expression whether or not she would pay the bills if I did get fired. Right, right. That's that's what I thought. That oh, was. oh, I got you, got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I think I think you're spot on with that statement. Honestly, that there's some considerations that need to be made. 
I also want to go back and say that you definitely made me uh, – I, I saw land trust as just this – and the places in the mid – and it's different geographically probably, um, but eastern Colorado and Kansas, there's a lot of places where folks just didn't want to deal with it so nobody yeah. – Right, and they don't. You don't have the herds of three hundred elk destroying your pastures. So where there's a lot of folks where there's just no hunting happening on that ground. Um, and land trusts open those places up, even to you know, bird hunting. To me, is one of the biggest ones. That there's places in western Kansas with good pheasant hunting where on land trust. I could give that landowner $50 a day and get in there with dogs and, and go to town. And that to me seems like an increase in access. Yeah. But I do see your point. And if it's keep in Kansas, it maybe it would have been in the walk-in hunting program. That's the Weehaw program in Kansas. Um, and maybe now it's not, I don't know. What, what, what motive, what, what motivates me and a, and a, and a at a broader level, what motivates me is that I have no interest in paying to hunt. I, I hunting. But you pay to hunt. You buy a license. Okay, paying for access. Okay. okay. It's, it's, it's a lot of this is you got. There's arbitrary cutoffs where you draw the line, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and 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 for me. My passion for hunting is a consequence of being a very young kid. And I got captivated by the thrill of going out on the lake I grew up and catching a few fish or shooting a few squirrels in the woods across the street and then cooking them for dinner. And it was, or having my mom do it, it, it was it was about the freedom of that and the giddy sensation that you got something by your wits and that is the enduring thing for me that and the curiosity all the curiosity i wonder what's going to be in there this year after i walk in there 10 miles so it's the the, the sense of resourcefulness that comes from hunting and doing it from scratch by yourself or not by yourself, but just doing it by your wits and then the curiosity. And when you turn it into, when you get the money involved in the leasing, man, does it take a lot of that away. Mm-hmm. Good points. Good points, Matt. And a, a, a good way to end the podcast, I think. I think you are the most articulate. That, that's probably the most articulate viewpoint of of what Matt believes that we've heard. Well, thanks. I'm getting a little better better at this stuff as a consequence of having these discussions with other people. We have to. We have to do. I know Robbie's dying because he hates to go over it. We, Matt. I have change to get man, your answer. Ready. I'm a changed man. <laughs> I have to get your answer to when you consider. The Matt Ranella message combined with the fact that Matt Ranella started a hunting podcast. 
what's your answer to that? How do you rectify that? I get that question a lot and I don't really understand it because I've never said that I'm anti podcast. I've never said that I'm anti hunting social media. I'm anti putting dead and dying animals on the computer. Good, good. That's right. If you look at everything I've written and everything I said, plus, thank God for podcasts and thank God for social media because otherwise, my, the ability to, I would have no ability to get my ideas out there. Those are the two mechanisms that lend some egalitarianism to the hunting sphere because I've been censored left and right by publications, podcasts, etc. By my okay, so maybe that's just me being egotistical. Maybe the things I wrote weren't good enough to make the cut. But man, the things I hear when I submit articles about the reasons why they won't publish it has nothing to do with the quality of the thought. It has to do with the repercussions. Right. Yeah, we know it's not about the quality. We know it's a it's a uh, fear for the people that wouldn't publish your stuff. The, the the name of the podcast is the hunt is hunt quietly. Yeah, with Matt Ranella, um, and it's for now. For now, in like- for now, I, there's I have 18 unaired episodes. I wanted a bunch because I don't want to record during hunting season, and and then so then I'm releasing them once a week, and then afterwards, a guy, his name is Jim Durkin. He is gonna do every other one. He's a new friend of mine and every other one is going to be about conservation and access. So I'm going to have my ones about hunting culture and all the things that I'm concerned about. And then he's going to do every other one about conservation and access. The conversations are incredible. They're, they're incredible. For, if, for those of you that like a legitimate, thoughtful conversation, um, Matt's had some pretty incredible guests, and it's a great podcast to go check out. Well, thank so you, Cody. Have you received the invitation to be on Matt's podcast yet? He I has. He has. He has. It's just I, I got a bunch of checked. them. We're gonna Dang. we're gonna do that. Yeah. Don't take don't take it personally, Doctor Kroger. But oh no 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 both both of you. I, I'll have, I I, I, I no. It's just Cody and I somehow have this. <laughs> Cody and I somehow get communicate an email, and you and I. Don't Robbie, but I would love to have you on. Oh, that's Cody's job. I absolutely. Yeah, I would love that. So it's been a pleasure, Matt. All right. Well, thank you guys. When will this come out? Monday. Oh man, see, that's awesome. Because I have all this. My thought process is improving a, a bit, I think. And you, you guys are getting the modern, the up to date version of my viewpoints, whereas. On my podcast, you're always hearing my viewpoints from three months ago. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Matt. We enjoyed it. All right. Thanks, Matt. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.